Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Mainline, where we seek to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus for Philadelphia's historic mainline and surrounding communities. Every week, we look again to the story of the Bible, the lavish grace of God revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church, check out our website, libertymainline.org. Good morning, friends. As you find your seats, I invite you to turn either in your worship folder or in your copy of God's Word. Uh, This Advent season, we are studying the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is like the prequel to the Bethlehem story that we celebrate at Christmas. It's the uh, Bethlehem story without which we would not have the Jesus story. So we're picking up today in Ruth chapter 3, and I invite you to follow along as I read this, which is the living word of the living God. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, shouldn't I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfumed oil, and wear your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he's lying. Go in and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. After Boaz ate, drank, and was in good spirits, he went down to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor, Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Yes, it is true that I am a family redeemer, but there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down until morning. So she lay down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked her, what happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest until he resolves this today. Let's pray for understanding of this passage. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you are a God who seeks refuge and shelter and rest for us. We pray, Father, that whatever we may be experiencing today, 
this week, this year. We pray that we'd hear your voice, your care, your comfort as we come to your word this morning. We thank you that in Jesus we have one who has come among us and made himself our family redeemer. So we might be restored, renewed, and brought into your family. We thank you for this hope in Jesus' name. Amen. Relationships are hard. And many people find, share how hard it is to find the right person, especially if you're someone like Ruth who has a little bit of baggage and might not check all of the right boxes. To uh, adapt and modernize from one preacher, would her Tinder bio be, widowed Moabitess seeks hardworking man of character for long walks in the barley fields and evenings by the fire. Must like children. Would anyone kosher swipe right for her? In fact, as beautiful as the story of Ruth is, this chapter is actually incredibly concerning for reasons that we'll soon see. And yet, God can work through even some of the most risky and compromising situations because the kindness of God, something I called last week the super kindness or the deep kindness of God, transforms the selfish, the vulnerable, and the powerful. The deep kindness of God transforms the selfish, vulnerable, and powerful. So first we see how the deep kindness of God transforms the selfish, specifically in Naomi. While we call this the book of Ruth, it's equally, if not more so, the story of Naomi. A woman who endures incredible losses feels abandoned and oppressed by God as a result. And at this point, she and Ruth have been back in Bethlehem for at least six or seven weeks And it's during harvest time and through Ruth's Ruth's industry and through Boaz's generosity, the once destitute Naomi now has over a year's worth of food stocking her cupboards. It's a remarkable reversal of fortune for someone who'd said when she came back to her hometown that that she was returning empty and that her life was nothing but bitterness that God was against her. But now, you can see how she is softening as she has received token after token of God's care for her. Naomi has received what's called in the Hebrew hesed, which is often translated kindness, sometimes covenant faithfulness, loyalty and love, or we might call it grace. And receiving that kindness and grace is changing and transforming Naomi. So that a woman who used to ignore Ruth now comes to care for her and seek her welfare too. She is concerned that Ruth find rest and make sure that Ruth be taken care of. That's like biblical shorthand uh, that's connected to the idea of a growing and thriving household, the partnership and protection of a husband, the bearing of children, and the securing of a family's future through another generation. And Naomi realizes that while their present is now much better, Ruth's future is still uncertain. What happens to her as a foreigner when Naomi dies? Right now, Ruth's hard work is providing for the two of them, but there isn't anyone to support Ruth in her eventual old age. Back in chapter one, Naomi had prayed a blessing over her widowed daughters-in-law that they find rest in the home of a new husband and basically said, like, that's self-work. You go take care of it. But now here, Naomi's formulating a plan to make that prayer a reality. 
Naomi's concern for Ruth shows significant personal growth, but the specific plan, she suggests, is really alarming. Uh, She tells Ruth to make herself attractive, to go down to the workplace after everyone's had a long day of work and then a long night of partying after work, and then to snuggle up to a potentially inebriated Boaz in the middle of the night and then follow his lead which is really dangerous advice. In fact, Naomi earlier had warned Ruth about the danger of being a single woman in the fields among men in the daytime and how much more dangerous it would be for a woman to be among reveling men at night. This is almost as dangerous as sending a young woman alone to a college frat party rager. And it's possible that actually that's the point and that Naomi is intending for there to be an encounter that in a sense entraps Boaz in a feeling of obligation to make a permanent relationship with Ruth. When it says put on your best clothes, there may be a sense in which Naomi's instructions mean up to this point, Ruth has been wearing clothes that would indicate that she's a widow who's still in mourning. And so Naomi's encouraging her, put on new clothes that indicate that you've completed the mourning time for your dead husband and you are now sort of signaling that you're willing to entertain new marriage partners. Naomi may even be expecting uh, Ruth to use some of her Moabite charms because Moabite women had a negative reputation in Israel. Uh, Generations before, Moabite women had seduced Israelite partners in a way that led them to compromise their religious uh, devotion to the God of Israel. And then even before that, the nation of Moab traced its origin from a drunken and incestuous liaison by their forefather, Lot. But it's just as possible that this whole situation would turn into a disaster. Ruth's reputation could be ruined. She could be taken advantage of. She could also be dismissed by an insulted Boaz. There are more ways for this to go wrong than for it to go right. And the interesting thing is that Naomi in this plan is actually risking her own situation as well because it could upset the current status quo and jeopardize this relationship of patronage between Boaz and them if he reacts negatively. So on the one hand, we're seeing that over the weeks leading up to this, Naomi has changed. She's opening it up. She's more thoughtful and and considerate for Ruth. But she's also far from a finished product. She's still trying to make things happen in problematic ways, just like her earlier ill-advised move to Moab, which represented a movement away from God, his people, and his worship. Receiving kindness and grace has the power to transform us and to crack through our egotistical narcissism, but then we still have lots of bad habits that we still have to unlearn. We can have new, higher commitments and priorities that change while certain behaviors and attitudes remain stubbornly familiar. And whether we're trying to change ourselves or we want some of the other people in our lives to change, we want it to just be like, poof, you're different. Poof, I'm different. Disappointingly, that's not the way that God works. Instead, change is a process. It takes time. But fortunately, 
In this particular situation, God graciously overrules Naomi's terrible plan as he often overrules some of our stubborn habits even while we're still working on them as he's patiently, gradually changing us. So Naomi gives Ruth this uh, suspicious plan. But second, we see the deep kindness gives confidence to the vulnerable. Ruth obediently follows Naomi's instructions at least up to a point. So harvest time is a time of feasting. You're doing the work, uh, bringing in the harvest. Boaz stays overnight with the barley harvest, probably so that it wouldn't be stolen in the middle of the night. He is well fed and in good spirits, which means that he's enjoying at least a nice light buzz from his glasses of wine. And Ruth approaches him as he nods off, partially uncovers him in his sleep. And all of this is very suggestive. This uh, chapter has um, an incredible amount of innuendos and and double entendres. But when he wakes startled, probably because he's cold now, um, he finds a woman there beside him. And in response to his question, who are you? Ruth doesn't strictly follow her instructions. She doesn't just wait for Boaz to take the lead. She identifies herself, but she also tells Boaz, take me under your wing, which uh, could be translated, uh, cover me with your cloak. Because in many ancient cultures, a man covering a woman with his cloak was like a sign of engagement, like an engagement ring, or perhaps like wearing uh, a guy's varsity jacket. Earlier, Boaz had prayed that God would take Ruth under his wings, and Ruth is basically saying, you back up your prayers with your actions. She is being incredibly bold, incredibly forward, and making essentially a marriage proposal. And her modification of Naomi's plan is striking. Instead of hoping in a sexual encounter that creates a sense of obligation, and she makes a much bolder request asking for commitment from Boaz. The contrast between the reputation of Moabite women and Moabite culture and Ruth's behavior is also a powerful reminder that our family history doesn't have to be our destiny. The ingrained beliefs and practices of our family or our culture are not absolute and inescapable. God can overrule them in our lives. But her proposal is at least as risky in its own way because think about her status. Okay, It's not just unusual in traditional culture for a woman to make a proposal of marriage to a man. She is a young woman proposing to an older man, a foreigner proposing to a native citizen. She's a field worker, actually not even a field worker, proposing to the field owner. She's on the wrong side of every possible power dynamic and could easily be dismissed by an outraged and offended Boaz. God gives her this confidence to make a crazy request, and yet she's not rebuffed. Because we see also how deep kindness produces humility and integrity in the powerful in the person of Boaz. So Boaz, rather than being offended and rather than taking advantage of Ruth, is honored and seeks her well-being. Boaz responds with surprise that Ruth should propose marriage to him. He doesn't say, who are you to ask me? He says, who am I to ask that you ask me? 
He flips it since he evaluates Ruth primarily on the basis of her character, which he holds in high regard. He assumes she would have many possible suitors. Although it's interesting that not everyone shares his assessment since he discloses in a minute that there's a closer family redeemer who has chosen to stay on the sidelines up to this point uh, and will continue to do so as we see in the next chapter. But Boaz refers to her as a woman of noble character. This is a female version of the phrase earlier applied to him by the narrator, a man of noble character. The female version only appears twice. It's in the book of Proverbs in chapter 12 and chapter 31. Perhaps you know the famous passage of uh, Proverbs 31 describing a noble woman. Boaz is unconcerned about so many other things, like her ethnic origins or her personal history. And he also seems unconcerned or different to her physical appearance, whether she's attractive or not. That never comes up in the conversation. And while the situation they find themselves in is sexually charged, they don't indulge the moment. The the challenges are hyper-sexualized modern culture. Although, if we were to pop back to the book of Judges that we were looking at earlier this uh, fall, we would see that this is not like a new trend in human existence. Uh, The story takes place in the ages of the Judges, an era that's characterized all too often by sexual assault and violence, or by a playboy mentality of a person we didn't get to yet, but Samson, who never denies a single one of his desires, much to the dismay and destruction of everybody around him, especially the various women in his life. Ruth and Boaz's match is fitting and appropriate as a match not of beautiful Hollywood leads, but of people of matching character and integrity. It's not even entirely clear that they're physically attracted to each other. Boaz has not been uh, lurking on the sidelines, fantasizing about Ruth, taking advantage of his power over her. Instead, he's surprised that she's even interested in him. It's flattering that she makes this proposal. And their self-restraint contrasts with many of our modern relationship expectations. Sometimes we assume that if the sexual chemistry is there, all the rest will work itself out. And actually, you can talk to many marriage counselors, you feel you realize that over the long term, that's actually backwards and will probably end in a disaster. Instead of realizing more likely, we need to have all the rest of the relationship in a healthy place if we expect to have that chemistry over the long term. Uh, And their encounter, finally, is a reminder that even when placed in morally compromising situations, we aren't doomed to capitulate to the moment. We shouldn't seek out situations like this. That's probably not wise. But capitulating to a temptation is not inevitable. Sometimes we excuse ourselves and others as if it's virtually impossible to act differently when confronted with certain temptations. Uh, There's very few times where you see somebody say, you know what? No, I'm just not interested. In fact, I remember um, reading uh, one of my favorite authors as a kid was Orson Scott Card, and he tells this short story about a man who, uh, in years later from his child or early adulthood, he uh, meets his childhood favorite musician of the opposite sex. Uh, I think she needs a ride, her car broke down or something. And so they're having this 
conversation, he's talking to this woman that he loved so much as a child, had crush on. Uh, and then she, he brings her to the place she's staying and um, she invites him up. And he's a man now with a family and he says, no, I know that nobody would know, but I would know. And so I decline. How often do we have those stories that we celebrate in our society? Uh, but there's also this complication of the closer family redeemer, who might be the reason uh, Boaz hasn't been more proactive up to this point in the relationship. Uh, a couple of years ago, I audited some of Rebecca's uh, French classes, and she has a phrase that she uses over and over and over with her students, which is ne panique pas, don't panic, right? Because there's shock and fear on their faces all through the class. Don't panic, don't panic. And in a similar way, Boaz tells Ruth, fear not. That's such a beautiful expression because it's one of the favorite expressions that God uses talking to his people. Fear not. And that's one of the key keys to the passage. The kindness of God is taking on flesh in these people as they love and serve one another. Naomi had prayed a blessing for Ruth and then she takes steps to make that prayer a reality when she's given the opportunity. Boaz had prayed a blessing for Ruth and Ruth challenged him to make that prayer a reality when given the opportunity. And there are many heartaches in our world that we see and experience and they're bigger than anything we can do. And in those moments, being able to pray to a God who's compassionate and powerful is a great comfort. But sometimes God answers those prayers through simple acts of kindness and sacrifice that we show for one another. And Naomi and Ruth and Boaz are all acting for one another out of kindness, out of mercy and compassion and loyalty and love. And the one whose kindness jump-started this process was Ruth, the outsider. In the story of Ruth, we see the story of the gospel in miniature. The story of Christmas is that God, the outsider, comes near to us in the birth of his son. And Jesus is the one who leaves his homeland of heaven to come and dwell as a stranger in our world, to jumpstart the cycle of mercy and kindness and grace that has been sabotaged by our sin and evil and selfishness. Jesus is God in the flesh who doesn't remain aloof through, aloof hearing our prayers but God in the world doing the work of the Father. In the years between Ruth and Jesus, God actually spoke through the prophet Isaiah preparing for the coming of Jesus. And he said of himself that God would be the family redeemer of his people. He would come to the lonely and the barren and the widowed and the bereaved and give them a new family. And he does that through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Naomi, in this passage, wants Ruth to find rest. She wants her to find a family. She wants her to find a place of security. Because she knows, as somebody who's lost her husband, lost her sons, she knows loneliness, bereavement, and heartache. And many of us know that as well. We know the experience of a Naomi, a Ruth, a feeling of isolation, loneliness. But Jesus came to form his church as a new family so that those who follow him might be brothers and sisters together, 
where our hope for the present and the future is so much more than in a romantic partner or in a child or a big holiday family gathering, but rather that God works through brothers and sisters so that we show love and loyalty and kindness to each other and to anyone else who begins to seek refuge under the care of Jesus. Ruth is so bold in this encounter. She says to Boaz, take me under your wing, for, I, for you are a family redeemer. And the good news of the gospel is you can come to Jesus and you can be that bold with him. You can say to him, if you have not already, take me under your wing, for you are a redeemer. And he will. He'll give you a place of rest. He'll give you a place of refuge. And in life and in death and on the other side of death, he will take care of you. This is the good news in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank and praise you as we remember this season. You didn't stay far away. You came into our world of sorrow and pain and suffering. You assumed in your son a human body, a human life, that new heartache. And most of all, you took on yourself in your son the judgment for our sin, our selfishness, so that you might transform us by your deep kindness. We pray that we would be people who point others towards you and welcome others to find rest and refuge in you. And I pray for anyone who has not yet experienced that today, that you give the gift of your spirit to draw them to yourself and for them to draw close to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope that either through or in spite of the human messenger, you heard the gracious invitation of God to the abundant life of love and service found in the transforming person and work of Jesus. If you've been encouraged by this podcast, please take a moment to rate, review, or subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, check us out at libertymainline.org.